Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. For uh, 26 years, I had office of elder in, in Cornerstone and in a church that we were part of before that. And I, I want to encourage you to lift up our elders in prayer. There's a significant burden that they carry in caring for the, the flock and uh, only humility and trust in the Lord can carry that. And it's a heavy thing, but it's, it's a kind of protection and covering that we receive through their faithfulness. So I hope that we all can appreciate that. Uh, I have a gift for you today. We're going to be, uh, as John was saying, because next week there's going to be a, a speaker about evangelism. And also today I want to talk about some things that relate to that. And this is one of my favorite tracks. It says, are you a good person? And it's interesting how people would respond to that. But I've got it on the uh, table out in the lobby and also over on the side uh, by the coffee. There are a bunch of these. And today only, free to you. <laughs> uh, and take as many as you think you could use. Look, read through, see if you agree that it's a good way to prepare somebody's heart for the gospel. Uh, let me start with a word of prayer. Father, you have given us your treasure in earthen vessels. So I pray that this morning we would receive the treasure of your word and your truth. Uh, help us to become, our minds to conform more to your mind so you do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now those of you who have known me for a while, uh, can you tell me, <clears throat> one of the th ways that I like to respond when somebody says, well, how are you doing? Is I'll say what? Anybody remember? <laughs> yeah, maybe you read the thing. <laughs> doing better than I deserve. Somebody several years ago told me that uh, Dave Ramsey says that. He's like a Christian financial advisor. Well, I had I didn't know that. I I was uh, saying that because of what I heard, I'd read and understood from the Word of God. So I like to say, well, he got it from me. So I don't know. <laughs> um, today, I'd like to do is look at why I say that. Why does the the Scripture say that this is consistent with what God says to us? Um, I'd like to take a look at some ads. Uh, Carl, we'll start with the third one, I think, on this. And see if you, as you look at these ads, see if you can see uh, a theme that's running through them. I've got a small copy of these here. Okay. Whoa, I can't see anything now. <laughs> uh, never settle for anything less than everything you deserve. Now let's do the next one. You deserve to be comfortable. And the next one here gets even more widespread. The lifestyle you deserve. And the next one is the, the kind of banking that you deserve. You deserve it. And now we're getting into the really good stuff. 
<laughs> a fast red car. Go ahead. You deserve it. And how about jewelry, ladies? The next one. You deserve this. And then I think this is my favorite. You deserve chocolate. <laughs> my favorite vegetable is chocolate. <laughs> but, you know, so far, they just assume that you deserve it. But they don't tell why. So the next one tells you why you deserve it. I failed algebra twice. <laughs> so by failing a basic math course twice, that means you deserve a good sandwich. Uh, what do you see as a theme running through these? <laughs> if you're very observant, <laughs> we'll see there's that assumption. Our, our culture is saturated with the idea that we are entitled, that we deserve the good thing that is offered to us. And then this last one is interesting uh, to think about what it says. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you think you want, not because you don't deserve it, but because you deserve better. Does that sound like a, a biblical, inspirational statement? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> What I like to show is this is not something you're going to find in the Bible. And there's a reason for that, even though this on the surface seems like such an encouraging statement. Uh, the idea that we deserve good things goes a long way back. Uh, what was the first temptation that we have recorded, recorded in the Bible? The serpent said to Eve, did God tell you that you can't uh, have eat anything in the trees? Well, first he distorts what God says. And then he, uh, Eve says, well, no, it says, don't eat of the tree of life. Don't touch it. Well, then she distorted it. And then he came back and says, basically says, well, God's, in so many words, God is holding back something good from you. Because if you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. And what's underlying all of that is the idea, Eve, you deserve to have that. And she fell for it. And so we have inherited those genes from our first parents that we feel like we deserve things. Uh, about 40 years ago, I don't know if any of you, some of you are not going to remember 40 years ago, I know. <laughs> uh, 40 years ago, there was a popular book that came out. It was called, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody remember that one? Uh, I remember I was talking when I was teaching. Uh, the, the husband of one of my students was saying, well, I found this book, this really neat book. I'm okay, you're okay. And uh, so we had some conversation that came out of that. And he later on uh, had a different view, and he actually saw that he was not okay, and he trusted the Lord, and he became a brother in Christ. But... That sounds like good news, isn't it? To say, well, I'm okay. We need to accept each other, and that part could be right. But why do we accept each other? There's a more, a, a better basis for that. Um, but we like to hear the message that, hey, there's nothing too bad, nothing wrong with you. Um, but suppose you have a doctor. Any, any of you go to a, like an annual checkup for the doctor? 
we go and they do all these tests, like stick needles in you and put wires on you. And after they run all those tests, the doctor kind of gives you the bottom line. And what do we want to hear from the doctor? Everything is fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And that would be the good news we'd want to hear, isn't it? But suppose, in fact, uh, the tests show that you had cancer. You had early cancer. And the doctor thought, well, you know, if I tell this person he's got cancer, that's going to make him feel bad. So what I'm going to say is that everything is fine with you. You're okay. Is that the kind of doctor you would like to have? <laughs> They'd tell you what makes you feel good rather than what's true. So he would get, a good doctor would give you the bad news, and hopefully he'd also give you the good news. Yes, you have early stage of cancer, but the good news is there's a treatment with a high degree of success in, in curing that. Well, that would be a good, good news. If you just out of the blue, someone said, you know, there's a treatment for cancer now that has a high degree of success. You think, well, that's nice. But if you knew you're the one with the cancer, then it means a whole lot more, than, doesn't it? Then it becomes really good news. Let me ask, if someone tells you, I've got for you, I've got for you good news and bad news, how many would rather hear the good news first? One person. <laughs> How many would rather hear the bad news first? Some of you don't want to hear any news, right? <laughs> well, I would, I would rather have the bad news first because I'd like to end up with the good news, right? And what happens is that in many cases, the good news doesn't really seem that good unless I really understand the bad news. Well, the Bible can be thought of as a book it contains two kinds of news. It contains bad news and good news. We start right at the beginning, the good news of God's creation. And it said, and God said that it's good. And he created man. It is very good. And then immediately in chapter 3 of Genesis, we have the bad news. We have the bad news that our first parents rebelled against God and brought on all the the, the misery in this in the world today because of that. Well, here's a, a couple of more samples of what the Bible tells us is the bad news, which I'm saying it's important for us to recognize that. Who can say I have kept my heart pure? Who can say I am clean and without sin? Solomon told us that in Proverbs. Uh, David says, God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And again from David, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. And then the prophet Isaiah, he really bears down in saying this, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all, our, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Then we have, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, in 1 John, he, we see this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, make God into a liar, and his word is not in us. So how serious is that? How serious is the fact that we are all sinners and fall so short? Well, Jesus himself told the, the verdict on that. He says, this is how it will end, be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said in another place, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So we've been singing in our songs about the wonderful news that we have, that if we trust in Christ, he is our advocate. He is for us. But we have the choice. If we reject what the, he has offered to us, then there are very serious consequences. Um, that's just a sample of some of the bad news that God tells us. Um, but the point of this is not to make forgiven children of God feel guilty. It's not that God wants us to feel guilty, but what he wants us to do, I believe, is he wants us to acknowledge that we are guilty. You see a difference there between acknowledging that we're guilty and then feeling guilty? The reason we don't need to feel guilty is because what God has done for us in Christ. Here's what 1 John 1 9 tells us. If we, watch, hang on to this, if we humble our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that what your Bible says? If we humble our sins? Actually, that's the, little, that's the Greek word, homologeo, which literally means to say the same thing. What that means is if we agree with God, when we say we confess in the scripture, it means that I am agreeing with God. If I agree with God about my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what are we agreeing with God about our sin? Well, we're agreeing with both the bad news and the good news. I'm agreeing, yes, Lord, I am a sinner, and this sin is very serious. But I'm also agreeing with you, Lord, that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for that sin. The confession is very important, and what it does, it opens up for us the good news that God has for us. So here's the, the main point that I hope will come across today. It's only to the extent that I recognize how bad the bad news is in my life, it's only to that extent that I will really appreciate how good the good news is. Uh, and the great news is this, in Psalm 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Notice he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Remember that? theme here is better than I deserve. <laughs> what do I deserve? Uh, the Bible tells us several times that God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. My favorite account in the Bible of, that makes this point is found in, in Luke chapter 7. Jesus was invited by a Pharisee 
and come have dinner with them. Uh, Jesus was uh, really well known and you could almost say notorious because of the work he was doing. And this Pharisee, for whatever reason, decided he wanted to have this new preacher uh, come into for a dinner. And so one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now try to picture this. Here's this fancy dinner party, and this woman kind of crashes in and walks in uh, and think what it would be like for them. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And so he said, tell me, he said. And this is what Jesus told him. Two people owed money to a certain Monday litter. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarius was about a one day's wage. So this is over a year's pay. And the other owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which, her sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Did you get that? He who has been forgiven little, loves little. So what does that have to do with us? If I think that I have been, my sins are not so bad, then my forgiveness is not so great. But the, the extent to which I recognize that my sins are very serious, to that extent, I will appreciate the forgiveness that, that the Lord bought at a great cost to himself. So it seems to me that the woman understood at least three things. One, she understood that she was bad. She was very bad. Uh, she didn't try to excuse herself. So she recognized the depth of her sin. Secondly, she recognized that she needed to repent and come to Jesus and trust him to receive forgiveness from him. And then thirdly, as a result of that, it seems that she loved the Lord in proportion to how very much she recognized that she had been forgiven. I think this example shows us then that our love for the Lord is in direct proportion 
to how much we recognize that we don't deserve it. We recognize what we really do deserve. Uh, as we prepare our hearts for communion today, uh, I think we ought to realize that maybe this is why Paul said, as he directed the Corinthians in the Lord's Supper, he said, For whatever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why should we think about the Lord's death? Because as we think about the Lord's death, we think about the price that he paid for our forgiveness. It's not that he said, oh, okay, you sin, that's all right. No, God is righteous. And sin, the Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And the blood of bulls and goats was only temporary in the Old Covenant. But the permanent once-for-all sacrifice was, was made by Jesus Christ. Um, in Romans 5, verse 7 through 8, Paul points out the price that was paid. It says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might actually possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. When take communion, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. I point out this word remembrance is more than simply recall. Uh, I'm sure that anybody asks you, well, did Jesus die for you? Oh yeah, I remember he died for me. That's one thing. But remembrance is more than that. It's an embracing, considering that, applying the fact to our lives. Uh, <clears throat> when the Bible says our sins and our lawless deeds, he remembers no more. It's not that some people have said God is absent-minded. God knows all things. But when he says he uh, sins and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. He's not holding that against us. So when we remember the Lord's Supper, we, we apply that ourselves in remembering the Lord's death. Um, and the death was, was a huge price. So we think about what it cost him. Uh, here are some descriptions of the price that the Lord Jesus paid for you and me. Remember, this is what we deserve. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and chastened for our well-being, and that fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like the sheep that is silent before its shears, that he was cut off out of the land of the living. And the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would tender him, render himself as a guilt offering. As a result of the anguish of his soul, my servant will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities because he poured out himself to death. Yet he himself bore the sins of many 
That's you and me. So shouldn't we be like the prostitute and love him all the more as we recognize that? Well, here's the bad news and the good news in a nutshell. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, which means hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The bad news is really bad, but the, real, the good news is really, really good. And that good news not only includes forgiveness for our sins, it includes many countless blessings that we have in this life and in the life to come. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing? <laughs> Better than me too. <laughs> this morning, the Lord's Supper should bring that into focus uh, for all of those who have trusted him. And remember, it applies to those who trusted him. The Bible says, as many as received him, referring to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But as many as received him, to them God gives them the right to become a child of God. So these promises are applying to the child of God. If you're not sure that you've received him as your Lord and Savior, it's not anything you can do to earn it. The Bible says, for, for by grace are we saved through faith. It is gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So if God has given you the faith to recognize that you have Sin is serious. And if God has given you faith to recognize that Jesus has paid for your sin, all you need to do now is say, Lord, I repent. Like this woman, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Lord, accept me. Would you uh, forgive my sin? Come in and be the Lord of my life. And then the Bible says you can know with that sincerity that you are his child. So think about these words before you come to receive the bread and the, and the cup. It's from 1 Corinthians 11, 23. And I'm going to read one more verse than is, than is displayed. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds here, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. His death, remember the price. You know, the price that Jesus paid, the terrible death that he paid, tells us at least two things. It tells us how serious our sin is, but it also tells us how deep God's love is, that he would do that. But then he, Paul adds one more verse as a warning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I believe when he says an unworthy manner, it doesn't mean that we think that we're worthy. It doesn't mean that we think that we deserve it. But an unworthy manner would be to come without 
faith to come without humility, uh, without coming without gratitude. But God can give us that to come and receive what he has done. Uh, Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.